Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's just not good to be alone. God doesn't go into detail there, but it's very clear that man needs a companion and God makes the woman for him. But that's not just true of the physical family, that's true of the spiritual family. And I, I think we have two groups of people that might be watching this live or watching this at some future time. And some of those are saying, you're right, it isn't good to be alone, and I wish we weren't, and I wish we could be there, but we're prevented from that by health issues or being away, incapacitated in some way or another. But there are others that may be watching this and listening to this, or listening to it, not, not just watching it, who may not be convinced that there's some inherent need in us to be in community like this tonight. I, I have come here tonight, not to this physical building, but to the living stones who make up the temple of the holy God. People who've come together and with a mortar of love have put ourselves here so that we can, in a corporate, corporeal way, honor and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. God calls us into this body because we need each other. He never intended us to live alone. He always wanted us to live in community with believers. And, and that's more than just being a name on a roster. That's being an active part of the body of Christ. Why does the church exist? And there, there are reasons you might give and I might give, but I found nothing better than the words of Solomon when he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, these words. We often use Ecclesiastes chapter 4 in wedding ceremonies, and I think there's an appropriate application of that, but that, that isn't what Solomon originally meant when he wrote that. That wasn't written for Solomon's marriage ceremony. He says this in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. How can one be warm alone? Uh, listen, that, there's more than just the physical concept of that there. There's a, there's a symbolic application, a deeper application to that. How can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who's alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. I don't think there's another explanation that really satisfies me as to why we exist as a community of believers. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I can worship God alone. And you can too. We've been in situations or places maybe where we've looked out at nature and we were just overwhelmed with the presence of God. And that is as it should be. I can do that. I can worship alone. 
I, and I can sing alone. I mean, I can do that. I've done that, and you have too probably. You're riding along in the car, and you turn the radio off with its maudlin and sipid music, and you say, I think I'm just going to sing to the Lord for a while. And you do that, and you find benefit in that. I can pray alone. I can study the Bible alone. But, but I'll tell you what I can't do alone. I can't pick myself up if I've fallen far. And I can't warm myself if I'm cold. And I can't protect myself from temptation and sin as an individual like I can when somebody's got my back. And so Solomon gives us this answer. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13, and tonight we're talking about the sharing of spiritual gifts, which we're going to get to in a moment, but I, I feel I need to begin with setting this foundation for us all. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 says, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another day after day. And then go to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. This is a passage we often use, but I, I think sometimes we, we stop short of what it really says, what it's really calling us to. Let's begin in verse 23. Hebrews 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. My brothers and sisters, that passage is not fulfilled by attending an assembly. That passage is not fulfilled by attending an assembly. It does not say, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but sitting in the pew and going home when you're done. It's not what it says. What the passage says is, it's not, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, because when you do that, you cannot fulfill the real purpose of assembling together, which is to do what? Encourage one another. Encouraging one another. That's what chapter 3 said. That's what this chapter says. And, and there's, a word, there's a word that fascinates me in verse 24, that we are to stimulate one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. I, I don't know why every time I, I hear that word and picture it, it's a cattle prod. It's a cattle prod. The idea of stimulating one another is the idea of... I mean firing somebody up to love and good deeds. I mean, we should come in here with spiritual tasers. <laughs> I said spiritual. 
Would, wouldn't it be incredible if every person who walked through those outside doors to come in here tonight had said this to themselves or their family in the car? Somebody in the assembly tonight needs encouragement. Lord, help me find them and help me help them. Give me the words to say or the resources to meet their needs. What if every one of us came here with that in mind? You think this assembly might have even started out differently? Please don't become uneasy when I say this. But I would suggest if that were really on all of our minds, we wouldn't be as spread out as we are. We'd be looking for somebody to sit next to. We'd be sidling up to each other and talking. Our arms would be around each other. We'd be in close contact with each other. See, it's, this is not a movie theater. My wife and I went to the Tampa Theater not too long ago. We wanted to go there. It's the oldest theater in Tampa, and they show black and white movies, and it's in the old setting. The theater is historic. And we went in. We were the first ones in there, and we sat right in the middle, I mean, dead middle of the theater, because we had the choice of all the seats. We sat right there, two of us sitting there. And then all these people came in, and they didn't go sit somewhere else. It was all of a sudden, there's just a big cluster around us. And in that situation, I want to say, go. <laughs> there are lots of seats. How come you're sitting right around us? And, and one of the guys, true to the way it always is, it's what all ex-basketball players do. They sit in front of other people in movie theaters. <laughs> See, in that setting, I wasn't there for the people. I wasn't there because other people were there. But when I come here, I'm, I need to be looking for connection. How different would that look if we all had that mindset there's someone here tonight who needs encouragement. Now look, that doesn't mean always that it's somebody who's downcast and depressed and they're sitting on the pew crying before everything even starts or they're on the phone frantically trying to get help for the four flat tires they got out in the parking lot. It doesn't have to be somebody who's in a desperate situation. Encouragement may mean encouraging somebody to do better, to keep doing what they're doing. And we feed off each other in those situations, folks. You know, if you want to be a more enthusiastic singer and you say, you know, I'd like to sing out more and I'd like to get involved more in the singing, sit next to somebody who sings out. Don't sit next, next to people who are singing ventriloquists. I'm guessing that's what they are, because I see some people, they're not even moving their lips. I'm thinking, man, where is that voice coming out? Somewhere. Somebody in the auditorium is going, there's somebody singing next to me, but I can't see them. 
singing ventriloquists. I have to tell you a story. I tell this all the time, but it, it's true. It happened to me. I was, at, I was at a high school football game. My daughter was in the band, and the band always played the national anthem at the beginning of the football game. And so one night I'm up in the stands, and they start the national anthem, and, and I, I always sing the national anthem. So I started singing my usual voice, you know, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light. And then I heard this guy a row behind me and up from me, <clears throat> and he started singing. And I thought, hey, I got somebody singing with me. So I sang a little louder. And he sang louder. And I mean, when we got to the end of the song, we were belting it out pretty good. <laughs> I mean, together, you know. For the land of the free and the home of the brave. And we belt, I mean, a lot louder than what I just sang it for you. We really sang that. Well, as soon as the song was over, I turned to the guy up there. I turned to him because I just wanted to say, hey, thanks for singing. And he was reaching down to me. And here's what he said. He said, listen, I want to thank you. And I said, no, no, I want to thank you. Thanks for He said, no, thank you for singing out. I always wanted to sing the national anthem. But I never had the courage to do it. He said, I heard you singing. I thought, I, if that guy can sing, I can too. <laughs> So, I said, oh, well, thank you. But I said, listen, I have to tell you, you have a really nice voice. And he said, oh, thank you. Before God, this is the truth. Two days later, the Sunday paper of the Concord Tribune had a front page article about the new director of community theater who had volunteered by coming to Concord, had moved to Concord, North Carolina, and was going to take over as a director of the community theater. And they were very excited about it because this was the guy who played Rolf in The Sound of Music. You remember Rolf? I am 17, going on 18. That guy? Yeah. I sang the national anthem with Rolf. And that's one thing, but I told him, you have a really nice voice. <laughs> you have a nice voice. But here's my point. Here's my point. He sang because I sang, and I sang louder because he sang. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, but encouraging one another encouraging one another it's it's looking at people and saying good job it's it's nodding to somebody great work not just a few people not just the public servants but the people of god and sometimes they need encouragement because they need lifting up but sometimes they just need a pat on the back for doing what they do if we came in here with that goal in mind every time we assemble, can you imagine the aura of the place of God's people? 
if every one of us was looking for someone to encourage. I'm a member of the body of Christ. I am being called upon to not just come here, sit, and go home, but to come here and look for someone to stick the cattle prod to. Someone who needs stirring up or someone who needs an embrace of comfort or someone who needs an encouraging word. That's why we come here. That's not why the elders come here to do that or the preachers come here to do that. That is why all of us are called together in this family in this setting to stimulate one another to love and good works. But what do I have to have for that to happen, that kind of spiritual life? Well, let me suggest a couple of things to you. I can't do this if I don't have a good communion with God. If I don't have a healthy communion with my God, I can't share with somebody else because I can only share out of the excess of my own life. So it may be that before some of you, some of us, that before some of us can do what I just talked about, we need to go fill ourselves up with the things of God. It kind of comes back to the second lesson we had Sunday morning. The idea of fellowship with God being essential to our health and our welfare as the people of God. Where am I going to fill my water bottle? Because if I haven't filled it from a proper source, I can't share it with anybody else. If I don't listen to God's word, and recognize it when he speaks, how am I going to hear it when it's spoken by somebody else? How am I going to recognize the voice of God in somebody else if I'm not very familiar with the voice of God? And I, I'm telling you this, sometimes the voice of God comes from the mouths of little children, the, the youngest of us, who speak with amazing purity of thought. It was a group of elementary school kids and they were taking a tour on their field trip of the local police station. And as they were going through and the police officer was with them, the police officer was saying, oh, here's our jail cells. This is where we keep people that need to be kept here because they've broken the law or they're dangerous to themselves or others, that's it. And over here is our printing machines and here's where our dispatchers sit and they dispatch the police for this. And one little student said, sir, what is this big wall of people, these pictures of all these people? And the police officer said, oh, those are people that have done bad things, they're explaining to small children, done bad things and we're trying to catch them. And the little girl said, well, why didn't you just keep them when you took their picture? <laughs> yeah. 
out of the mouths of babes. Listen, would you know the voice of God if it were spoken through the mouth of a child or a new Christian? You would if you're very familiar with the voice of God. You'll hear that in them. I have to have communion with God. And then I have to have a sense of mutual commitment and responsibility toward others. This says I'm not just here as a, an attendee. I am here because I'm connected to you and we need to share life together. And I'm here for that reason. That's why I'm in this place. So I have to be faithful with others. I have to pray for people when I say I'm going to pray for them. I have to be there for them when I say I'm going to be there for them. We have that mutual responsibility to each other. And I have to feel a sense of responsibility for others. Not consider that when somebody calls me 10 o'clock at night, 2 o'clock in the morning, that that's an intrusion on my life. That's not an intrusion on my life. That's an opportunity for me to meet the needs of others. And you may say, yeah, but 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to tell you, a lot of times good things don't happen at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's somebody in need. I have to not roll my eyes about that. And if somebody calls again and again and again, maybe the reason they're calling me again and again for help is because they think I can meet those needs. And I don't need to treat that like Paul Revere did when they came to him and his answer was, what, am I the only guy in town with a horse? I don't need to treat it that way. I need to treat it as if I'm, I'm glad to be able to help. Now, I, I will tell you, that's, that's the ideal Ralph. That's the idealized Ralph. I'm not always that way. Sometimes I answer the phone, I'm rolling my eyes. That's why I don't do FaceTime. But I have to have a sense of responsibility for my brothers and sisters. I care if they fall. I care if they hurt. I care if they have needs. I care if they're wondering or doubting or angry. Why? Because we're in the body together. And I do need to understand this, and all of us need to understand this. I cannot be intimately associated with every person in the church. I can't, and you can't either. And we're, we're building ourselves up for great disappointment if we think we can, or we think somebody else should. Not everybody can be the subject of my attention and care. I will burn myself out or exhaust myself if I spread myself too thin. And sometimes what we may have to do with each other is say, I really want to help, but I'm not in a position to do that right now. I will find somebody who can. And we need to accept that if that's given to us. If that's told to us, don't treat that. Do not treat that as if you've been turned away or downgraded or kicked out. Jesus had multitudes that heard him preach, but out of the multitudes, he had 70 he spent some 
real time with. And out of the 70 he had 12, he, he spent a lot of time with. And out of the 12, he had three that he was very intimate with. But the nine didn't get what the three got, and the 70 didn't get what the 12 got, and the multitudes didn't get what the 70 got. You can't handle everybody's circumstances. And that's true for your elders. Your elders can't handle every situation. And we need to understand that that mutual commitment and responsibility sometimes means I am so committed to your welfare, I've got to turn you to someone who can truly help you because I don't have the resources, either the knowledge or the time to make this one happen. That makes sense? Did that make sense? So here are some essentials of sharing spiritual life with others. These are essentials. If we're going to share life together with others, the first thing is truth. We're not here because we live in a geographical community or we all speak the same dialect or drawl or that we all like the same political stands. We've already said all that before, but it needs to be repeated. What brings us together is not that we just happen to be like people, but that we love truth. The truth of God. That is what binds us. And it is not a challenging or intimidating or improper question for us to ask each other, what has God been teaching you lately? What has God been teaching you lately? We need to have an answer to that question. Because if truth is what brings us here and truth is what binds us here, then we ought to. We ought to be able to answer the question. What truth have you learned lately or seen that could be of help to all of us? So memorizing scripture... And not just sharing truth in the sterile bottle, but in real life. Here's what God's done in my life. Here are some applications of scriptures that have helped me. This is what we share with one another. And then we need openness. I, I, I think I can probably explain this best with this illustration. I go to the doctor maybe I'm going out for just a physical checkup or maybe I've got one, one problem. Maybe I've got a ringing in my ears or I'm, I'm dizzy and I don't know why. Uh, the first thing they do is they take you back in a room. Well, that's not the first thing they do. The first thing they do is they leave you sitting in the lobby <laughs> some 30 to 45 minutes after your appointment. But there's a reason for that, see? They're cranking down the air in the room they're getting ready to take you to. <laughs> So they lead you down a hall, put you in a room, and then the attendant, the nurse, or the physician's assistant says, I, I need you to strip down to your underwear. The doctor will be in to see you shortly. Yeah, right. So I'm sitting on this table in my underwear, one giant goosebump, waiting for the doctor to arrive. And the doctor is in the back checking the temperature on the stethoscope 
that he just pulled out of the freezer and is going to bring down the hall and place on my chest, and then he's going to tell me what he doesn't need to tell me. Breathe deep. <laughs> it's cold. Now, it doesn't matter what I went there for. I go through that routine. Why is that? What is the doctor trying to do? All that joking aside, he's not a masochist, and he's not there to make you miserable. I'll tell you why they do that. They do that because they want you to be open so that the doctor can see you. Because clothes can hide potentially dangerous or deadly factors. The doctor looks at your body because he or she may see something that you hadn't noticed before. There is a need for me to be open like that. If I go in with an overcoat, no, I've been here before, I know what the temperature is like. I got on boots, I got on an overcoat, I got on a muffler and a hat, examine me. There's no way the doctor can really do that. If we come here, if we come here and every person who asks us, how are you, gets this trite answer, fine. We either don't need each other or we're lying. And I, I know you've heard people give that answer and you knew that wasn't the answer. Hey, how are you doing? Fine. Good, I'm glad to hear that. And we walked past them and they weren't fine. And what we need to do is stop and say, uh-uh, no, 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 that didn't sound fine. What's going on? What's happening in your life? Stop and talk to me. And then we need to be open about that. If we're going to help each other, we got to be like the people in the doctor's office. And I don't mean that physically, but I mean that in our spiritual relationship and our emotional relationship. We need to let each other know what's going on so that we can help each other be healed. How can we pray for healing if we don't know what people need healing from? And here, I will say, here is where you need to talk to your shepherds. Here's where you need to go to the shepherds because they're responsible for your soul. And there's nobody who has more experience in spiritual matters than your shepherds. And there's nobody who cares any more deeply for you than they do. And you need to let them know, not make them chase you down to find out, but go to them so that you can share what is going on in your life. Because the things we share with others sometimes is what others are going through. And then we find we can help each other. Yeah, I went through that. I went through that. You know how eager we are to do that? We, we meet somebody and, and, they, and we say, hey, how are you doing? They go, man, I got this pain in my elbow. What do we, we jump on that. Oh, I had that once. I had that pain in the elbow one time. Here's what we did. You know, and we, and we talk about that because, yeah, I had that, let me help you. But only when we talk it out and get it in the open can we really be of help to each other like that.
And then we need accountability. And what I mean by accountability is a willingness to be checked out by others, a willingness to be accountable to others for what's going on in our lives. Because this is our goal. Look, our goal is this. Romans 15 and verse 14. I, this is a great, great passage. This, I, I haven't talked to your elders about here's what you need to do. Your elders have got a, a good handle on all things going on here. I'm so impressed by your leadership here. But I have to tell all of you, this is the goal of the people of God. Romans 15, verse 14, concerning you, my brethren, this is what we want to be true. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and this, able to admonish one another. You're all the great physician's assistants. You're full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge. And because of that, you are able also to admonish one another. You can take care of one another. Man, that's a powerful goal. That is a wonderful goal for the people of God. Now, this is where I really wanted to spend most of my time tonight, but I'm going to, I'm going to go through these with you and, and ask you to be patient with me. I was traveling through Chattanooga, Tennessee, where Jordan's family is from at one time. And as I was driving down the interstate, I passed a church building and there was a sign outside the building and it said this, exercise the spiritual gift that is within you. Exercise the spiritual gift that is within you. And you might say, well, what was it, Ralph? Was that a Pentecostal group? And I'd say, no. Well, it must have been evangelical. No, it wasn't that either. That sign was seen outside the North Terrace Church of Christ building. It's a church for which I have preached. Exercise the spiritual gift that is within you. 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14 talk about spiritual gifts and how they were used by the disciples of the first century in meeting their needs and the needs of the congregation. And most of us recognize, and I do too, that many of the demonstrations of God's power in chapters 12 through 14 are miraculous and not available to us today. But having said that, listen, we err if we limit spiritual gifts to this first century manifestation, we err. Let me show you what I mean. I'm in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As each one has received a special gift... Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Now listen to these. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God 
supplies. Hear that? The strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. There is a gift God gives to some people to speak the utterances of God with clarity. There is a gift God gives to some people to be able to serve. Not everybody serves well. Not everybody does. I know we'll all do it if we have to, but some of us were just made to be servants. And that's not, if you're thinking, well, that's an awfully lowly thing, hey, join Jesus Christ. For the Son of Man, Mark 10, 45 says, did not come to be served, but to serve. I know we, we know the second part, and to give his life a ransom for the many. But before that, he came to serve. He is the servant of servants. You want to be like Jesus? Pray for that gift. The gift to serve others. And so we have this principle. Five principles for sharing spiritual gifts. Number one is every member of the body has a function. Every person in this room has a function in the body of Christ. Every one of you. And if you say, no, I don't, I really don't, then why are you in the body? If, if, I went, if I went to my doctor and I said, Doc, this is really strange, but this morning I woke up and I have a finger growing out of the back of my neck. The doctor wouldn't say, well, that's great. Everybody needs those. He would say, you know, that didn't serve a purpose. Let's take that off. Let's get rid of that. So through the rest of this lesson, you really need to be wrestling with, what's my function? Everybody in the body has a function. Go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. And I'm looking at verses 4 through 8. Romans 12, 4 through 8. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. You remember when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we said, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? We don't all have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ. And individually, we're members of one another. Now keep reading with me. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If it's prophecy or speaking the word of God, according to the proportion of his faith. If service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads 
with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, every one of those gifts I just read to you are non-miraculous. Those aren't miraculous gifts, not in that context. Those are things God gives people. And they're not all of them. They're just representative of the things God enables us to do. We all have gifts given to us by God. Some of us have one. Some of us have more than one. But we have been placed in the body so as to minister to the body. My little finger is important. It doesn't have the same function my thumb has, but they're both pretty important. I can't hang loose if I don't have both of them. And they're different in their functions than my toes are. And all my toes are important. I can't walk without the big toe. But the little toe's important on the other end of the foot for keeping balance that way. Every part of my body has a function. And I think we've been allowing ourselves to exist in the body without examining what we're doing here. And what our function is for the body and in the body. So I need to think about that. We have these gifts, and the gifts help us function in the body and do what we need to do here. And remember, we serve the body, not vice versa. I, I'm really tired of people who are saying, I'm looking for a church that can help me. When we meet, when we meet now with people that say, I want to become a member at Henderson Boulevard, one of the first things the elders say is, what can you do for us? What are you bringing to the table? Not what are you going to take off the table. Let's start here. What are you bringing to the table? And sometimes they're a little put off by that. Well, I don't know yet. Well, what can you do? Because we're not just looking for people to occupy pews, and we're not looking for people who are necessarily coming just to take. We're looking for givers. We're looking for gifted people. Gifted people. What do you got? And invariably, in the course of the conversation, something comes up. Well, I've taught classes. Good, good. We can use that. Um, I'm a song leader. That's good. We can use that. You know, I love watching little kids. Wow, we could use that. No, seriously, we could use that. Uh, I can paint. Good. We need painters. I'm an artist. We need artists. And on and on and on. These are gifts, and the gifts are given so that we can serve the body. And they're not all the same. And one's not necessarily better than the other. They're all different. And while some of my body parts seem to be more vital than others, it's pretty hard to do without any of them. They all have a function. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was, <clears throat> I was with a preacher that was a, a, a good friend of mine from Florida college days, and he had gotten cancer, and he was dying of cancer. And I went to see him, and we had lunch. And, and in the course of this lunch, he said something. He said, you know, Ralph, I never thought about this before. I was out mowing the lawn, and he lived in Birmingham, Alabama, and it was real hot. It was in the summer. He said, I was out mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden my eyes were just burning. I couldn't figure out, why are my eyes burning so much? Sweat's getting in them. What's going on? And then he said, then I realized something. I've been going, undergoing chemotherapy, and I've lost my eyebrows. 
Did you ever think about how your eyebrows keep sweat out of your eyes? Oh, not all of it, but how they serve that purpose? He did. He did. Eyebrows are important. They serve another purpose. One of the bones, if you push your eyebrows, you'll feel a really protruding bone right there where the eyebrows are. And that extra hair there of the eyebrows is an additional cushion. If you were to hit your face, it provides just a little more cushion there. So you all quit plucking out all your cushion. <laughs> Let it grow luxuriously. <laughs> it has, it, every part of your body has this wondrous purpose to serve the whole body. Every member has a function. Principle number two, the purpose of all spiritual gifts is to serve others and glorify God. It's not to, not to meet my needs, it's to meet everybody else's needs. These gifts that we have, 1 Peter chapter 10, where we were, or 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, where we were, said this, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We demonstrate the grace of God and glorify God by the exercising of the gifts he has given us. We are stewards of those, not owners. So seeking fame or recognition, accolades for the things we do, it's wrong. There are some gifts that are more important than others, but we're wrong not to exercise the lesser gifts. So I'm I, I, I offer you this other story I love about this lady, and I need to tell you this. There was a member of the congregation when we were in North Carolina that came to me one day, and she said, Ralph, I got to tell you, we need better people out there in the foyer greeting people when they come in the doors. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, it's a bunch of men, and they don't look real friendly. And they stand in two rows, and anybody coming in kind of has to run the gauntlet of these stern men who only go, morning, morning, morning. And she said, that, that isn't very welcoming to the members. Well, I didn't know what to do. I, at the time, I don't think I treated it well, but I said to her, well, Nancy, if you think that needs to be done differently, go do it. And she said, I will. So from that Sunday on, that sister stood at the door. And as people came in, the first person they saw was Nancy, who said, good morning, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in, who are you, where are you from? Come, you, you're going to love this place, on and on. She'd give them material and literature. And they had all that before they had to run the gauntlet. <laughs> you know, I would hear from visitors all the time. They would say, We've never visited this church before, but I have to tell you, the thing that impressed me most, and I would go, hmm, I know, is that lady in the foyer. <laughs> that lady is so friendly. Now, she had a gift. Was it valuable? It absolutely was valuable. It was a wonderful face for people to see when they came in the doors. She found her gift and she exercised it. And it glorified God and it served the people of God. All the gifts need to glorify 
God. And every gift is important. And listen, I'll say it again. Every Christian has a gift. Every part of my body has a function. And every member of the body of Christ has a function. To say you have no gift is to say you don't belong in the body. I, I can't say it any stronger than that. And I believe that. So all these gifts must be exercised and developed. And you can become better at it. Now, there are some things you'll, you'll never be great at. That's okay. We're not all great at everything. The members of my body aren't. If I had to rely on my feet to see where we were going, I'd be in terrible shape. My feet will never learn how to see danger or a problem or an issue. And the internal organs of my body are even more in the dark about those kinds of things. But they have a purpose that nobody else can fulfill. If my heart said, I'm done, my hand can't say, no problem, we'll take over. <laughs> can't do that. There is no way it works that way. But in the body, everybody has to exercise and develop their gifts. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, exercise the spiritual gift that is within you. Exercise it. Use it and get better at it. One more principle and then we'll close. There are greater gifts which should motivate all of us. All of us should have these greater gifts. You know what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I take a zero and put it on a board and add a zero to it, what do I have? Still got zero. What if I add a hundred zeros? What do I got? Still got nothing, right? Put a one in front of it and what is it now? Now it's a number. That's what Paul says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13. He says, I, I, I may be able to speak in the tongue of angels, but if I don't have love, zero. Nada. I got nothing. And, and I may give my body to be burned. If I don't have love, nothing. Zero. All of us need to be motivated and serving one another by these greater gifts, faith and hope and love. And we come to a line in one of my favorite songs ever about our relationship to one another. It's the song, How Sweet, How Heavenly is the Sight. When those that love the Lord in one another's peace, delight, and so fulfilled a word and this phrase love is the golden chain that binds the happy souls above love need to learn how to love each other love in word and deed love each other this final thought you may be asking and i hope you are i hope you've stayed with me long enough so ralph okay i bought it I have a gift, but I don't know what it is. How do I find it? How do I find my spiritual gifts? How do I know whether I have one or multiple ones? Are all of my gifts good gifts? Should I use everything I think I can do? How do I know? And I've got three things for you and we're done. Number one, look to God for guidance. Have you asked him? Are you praying about it? God, show me my gifts. 
Show me my spiritual gifts. Show me what I'm good at. What can I do? What am I good at? And sometimes the smallest things are needed by the people of God. We need people who organize things and who keep things together. We need people who pick up. You know, a sanitation worker is just as important as a mayor to the welfare of a community. Don't think, well, that's nothing. I mean, that's nothing. We have a person in our congregation who sharpens pencils. That's what they do. And it isn't because they got a degree in pencil sharpening. But they're good at that. They like it. It's, it's work they can do. And they take care of all those little pencils that the kids break off in those little racks on the backs of the pews in our building. You got people who can do things like that? You got people who have really good printing skills that can be useful in a resource room? Look to God for guidance. Secondly, look at your successes and failures. I remember Ed Harrell one time, we were together and he said, you know, Ralph, I gotta tell you, I am no good at hospital visits. I'm, I'm just no good at it. And I said, why is that, Brother Ed? And he said, well, I go in the room and he says, there's a guy in the bed and I go up to him and I say, hey, how are you doing? And he says, well, they tell me I've got this and this and this. And before I can stop myself, I said, you could die of that. <laughs> and I said, you're right. You're not good at hospital visits. <laughs> no, that's not good. That's, that's not a good way to, wow, that's serious. <laughs> what, are you, what are you good at? What do you do well? A woman came to Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a pioneer uh, tent revival preacher of a denominational background. And one time a woman came to him and she said, Brother Sunday, you were talking about talents. And she said, I have one talent I'm really, really good at. And he said, well, tell me what that is, sister. And she says, I am really good at criticism. <laughs> he said, that's it? She said, that's it. That's my one talent. He said, well, I believe if I had that one talent... I'd do like that guy in the parable and go bury it. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. How far has that criticism gotten you? I mean, if, if you really thought that was your gift, I'm really good at seeing things that are wrong. How, how does that play with people? Do they love to see you coming or do they run? Do they listen to you carefully or have they started to turn you off and ignore you? What are you good at and what are you not good at? Not all of us are good at everything. We're not. Some of us are really good at talking to strangers. Some of us are not good at that. Think about that as regards your gift. And finally, listen to others. What do people tell you? Find somebody who will be honest with you and say, tell me seriously, what am I good at? What am I not good at? We, we have a crew of guys whose job at Henderson Boulevard is to park cars in a lot that has absolutely no designated lines. There are none in that, park, in that particular parking lot. And these guys get out there every Sunday. Every Sunday. They're out there. It doesn't matter whether it's raining. doesn't matter whether it's extremely cold. I'm talking 50 or 45 degrees. <laughs> 
they're out there and they're parking cars in order. They're putting them in their places so that if I were out there, people couldn't get out of the cars. I'd park them too close. Pull in a little closer, a little closer. Oh, okay, climb out the window. You know, do you have a sunroof? Go out that way. I'm not good at that, but they're good at that. Now, is that the only thing they can do? No, but they're exercising a spiritual gift that serves the body of Christ. What can you do? What can you do to serve others in the body of Christ? Look to God. Think about your successes and failures and listen to others. Well, that's the lesson. Hey, you've been very patient. We've gone over tonight. I'm not going to apologize for that because I really think it was important for us to do that and to cover those things. And I, I will challenge you to find something you could have done for those eight minutes that would have been more important than the things we've talked about. Every member has a function. Find yours. And then don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now, can we help you tonight? There are people here whose hearts are merciful. They would love to help you. You got a need? You got a difficulty in your life? Is there something we can share is the burden too heavy for you and you need us? Come to the front. Come share that with us. Let's pray about it. Share it with the elders. Talk to God about it and talk to others so they can talk to God about it. Don't leave this place without giving us an opportunity to minister to you. And if we can do that right now, come to the front while we stand and sing this song.